You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit OKLABeef.org. That's OKLABeef.org, linked below. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, host, back with another episode. Today, we are in Guthrie, America, um, with a very famous bootmaker. If you don't know uh, the lady who's on the podcast, then I am the next, next 45 minutes to an hour is going to blow your mind. Um, and maybe you're, maybe you're listening and you're fortunate enough to own one of her pair of boots. Um, but it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today onto the podcast, Lisa Sorrell. Hello. It's lovely to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's fun to be back in uh, your shop. We had Flo on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago, um, someone who's working out of your shop, and Flo's got an interesting story coming from Australia, similar to myself, but um, we had, I had a, lot, a lot of fun listening to her Ford Fairlane stories and then designing boots to honor her Ford Fairlane. So. Yes, that it's been really nice to have Flora working out uh, of my shop. I enjoy having the company. Yeah, yeah. So... You've done this a lot. I'm sure you're sick and not sick and tired because you love talking about your passion. But um, I want this to be more of fun and, and, and less talking about, you know, I do this because this. Like, this is more about someone might read your about section and this is more about, like, what really makes you tick, right? Like, why do you do the things you do? Why do you love to travel? Why do you love to make boots? Why do you love to have a full, you know, business and a lot of people running around and, and you know, there, there's an energy in here and I can feel it as soon as I walk in the door. So I'm excited to get into all those today. Um, but for people who are listening that don't know you, what do you tell people when you meet them for the first time when they ask you, who are you? What do you do? The first question people ask me is, how did you get into this? Mm-hmm. So I always tell them that I was raised in a conservative little church similar to Mennonite. And when my husband and I Well, first, my mother started teaching me to sew when I was 12 years old, and by the time I was 15, I was sewing clothing professionally for ladies in my church. Later, I started sewing prom dresses and wedding dresses for women in the community, 
And when I was 20, my husband and I married and moved from Missouri, where I'm from, to Oklahoma. I left my business behind, and after six months in a three-room apartment, I got bored, and I answered an ad in the paper for stitching boot tops. I had no idea what that meant, and I'd never worn cowboy boots. I had also never been around anyone who cussed or drank. So it took me about three months to realize that the reason that... Jay Griffith was the man I was working for. The reason he tripped every time he went up the stairs wasn't because he was old. It was because he was drunk. And I, like I said, I'd never been around anyone who cussed. He and his stepson used to have these huge screaming matches. And I would go hide in the bathroom and cry. <laughs> so many great memories. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it's interesting because it just deepened my resolve. Yeah. I was not going to quit. Mm -hmm. And I remember Jay had this thing where he would, I thought that he hired me just because he saw some sort of talent. Later, I learned that he hired literally anyone who walked in the door. And then if the next person was better than the first person, then he never fired anyone. He simply made your life so miserable that you quit. Yeah. And usually whoever quit would be screaming and cussing on their way out the door. And the lady that was stitching tops when I got there didn't last very long. <laughs> so I remember her screaming and cussing on yeah. her way out the door. And then fortunately I survived until Jay had to close his shop. He, he was getting old and he was an alcoholic and yeah. his health was poor. And I worked for him for a year and a half. I finally had to quit because I couldn't cash my paychecks anymore. Oh, wow. And then he lasted maybe another year and a half. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. 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 It was a sad story. Jay had so much talent, but he also could be a really terrible person sure. because of the alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sad what it does to people and families and relationships, right? It's it, not, you know, it's, it's sadly, it doesn't, it's more, what is it? It's more acceptable to drink alcohol than it is to do other things, and it does worse things to people, which doesn't make any sense. It is true, and you mentioned earlier before we started or possibly in your intro about things that make me tick, mm -hmm. and one of the things that I'm passionately interested in is mental health. Mm -hmm because I lost a daughter to depression and suicide. And I have learned through that experience that often substance abuse issues are, people use that because of mental health issues. So I never got to know, I didn't even know that at the time. I never got to know Jay well enough to understand if that was an issue, but I do know that he was a veteran of the Korean War and who knows what was going on in his head and, and why he had to drink like that. Yeah, definitely. So um, sewing from a very young age, uh, and having a business at 15 for all the women <laughs> at church. Did did you know then very early on that that's what you were going to do for the rest of your life? Or did you have other interests? You were just like, oh, I'm making side cash sewing and this is fun and maybe I'm going to go do something else. I certainly never knew I was going to be a bootmaker. Mm -hmm. I was always driven to be an entrepreneur. I was selling greeting cards door to door at age 10 and making my own money. I always was trying to have a business or support myself somehow. And so it, it wasn't unusual for me to have started a business at 15 because I just thought that way. And I probably could have gone on to make that my business. But yeah, some sort of my own business was definitely in the cards. Yeah. So what kind of, I guess, struck you with um, boots and people's feet i guess <laughs> well definitely way, definitely you know? not people's feet yeah. sometimes i think you know the smell of people's sweaty sock feet in absolutely boots, not which is not what we're going to talk about today <laughs> i promise sometimes i tell people if if 
it has to be either a foot fetish or a shoe fetish. For me, it's definitely a shoe fetish because I think feet are disgusting and should be covered. And that's the reason I like cowboy boots because they have closed toes and you don't see feet. (laughs) But I I do, I always loved footwear. I collected shoes. I like to have lots of shoes in different colors, but I didn't know that people could make footwear. I genuinely had no idea that real people could make shoes. That was a revelation to me once I figured it out when I got into Jay's shop. And what appealed to me in the church I was raised in, girls did girl things and boys did boy things. So as a girl, it was acceptable for me to cook and sew, but it wasn't acceptable for me to want to built furniture or something. I remember one time, I think I was around 15, we were putting a new roof on the church in West Virginia where I lived at the time. And I talked my dad into letting me go up on the roof and I got to hammer shingle nails and it was so much fun. But I also got the side eye from all the other men on the roof because it wasn't proper for me to be up there in my pantyhose and jean skirt. (laughs) But I, I liked hammering, I liked making things. And so when I found boot making, it merged those two things. I got to do sewing and work with bright colors and do flowers and, and butterflies because those are those are not feminine things in cowboy boot making. Those are traditional cowboy boot designs for men and women. They are not gendered. So I got to do these really pretty brightly colored things, but I also got to hammer and pull and do very physical things. And it, it just merged those two passions. Yeah, I can imagine it was super hard to go through those times of like, I want to be on the roof and hang out and hammer stuff. And because I enjoy it, but also you just got the old school, you know, generations just looking at you thinking it's it kind of reminds me of like the footloose syndrome. Yeah. Right? I'm just like, you can't dance. You're never going to dance the rest of your life. Like it's not allowed. And, yeah. and once you got a bad reputation for not being a good girl in any sort of way, not just what we might think of as being a good girl, but not being an acceptable sort of girl. It was hard to overcome that sort of um, hit to your reputation. (laughs) So what were some of the big lessons then you learned from being in Jay's shop around like the boot side of things over the, you know, obviously you had a skill, you knew how to do things and you learned very fast and were extremely determined as well to put up with everything you went through there. Like what are the lessons you learned and then where did you go after? One of the first lessons I learned when I called Jay and asked to come up and apply for the job, he kind of grumped at me and he said, sewing clothing is nothing like sewing leather. And he was correct. It is nothing like sewing fabric. When, for instance, when you stitch it and you have a hole, then you have a hole. It's not like fabric where you can rip it out and start again. And also I had never seen pre-wound bobbins. I didn't have to wind my own bobbins. There were little, there were boxes of Bobbins already wound, which was fantastic. And I'd never seen a foot or a knee lift. So instead of raising the presser foot manually, I just stomped on it with my foot or hit it with my knee. That was fantastic. So I had a new machine to learn and these old machines have clutch motors. Uh, so they, they handle differently. It took me a while to learn it, but I just enjoyed learning all the, the stuff. And another misconception that people sometimes have is that Jay taught me bootmaking. Jay did not teach me bootmaking because I was not an apprentice, I was an employee. So that means he taught me to do my job, which happened to be stitching boot tops, and then he paid me to do that job. So he did learn a skill, but I wasn't in there so he could teach me bootmaking. Uh, later, I ended up, after I left Jay, I started a business where I stitched boot tops independently for bootmakers across the country for a few years until I could figure out how to get back into bootmaking. And the way I did that, there's a bootmaker here in town. His name is Ray Dorwart. 
and I paid Ray for two months of training. And then he let me stay for a year and a half as an unpaid apprentice because I had skills. So what people don't understand is sometimes I'll get emails saying, I want to learn boot making. How much do you pay? That's not how it works. You have to pay someone to train you. And I'm not looking for employees. And the only reason I got to stay with Ray as long as I did as an unpaid apprentice is because I did bring skills to the table. Looking back now, I understand that I didn't bring nearly as many skills as I thought I was. <laughs> I think I was less of an asset than I than I assumed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think and most people who don't know the boot world know how special that this town is to have yourself and Ray in this town. Right. Like. Absolutely. Know. And. For instance, I remember Jay telling me that when he was 12 or 13, he made up his mind he wanted to be a bootmaker. And he lived out on a ranch in Texas, and there was a bootmaker in town. So he would hike or ride his bike into town so he could watch that old man and maybe learn to build cowboy boots. Well, that old bootmaker also made violins. And when Jay walked in the door, if that old man was working on boots, he would lay them down and start working on a violin because he didn't want Jay to learn anything from him. And that was definitely the, the attitude of the older bootmakers. And the reason for that was, if you moved into my town as a bootmaker, you directly threatened my livelihood. But Ray and I, the world is bigger now. We have the internet. Ray and I are not competition. In fact, I never allow, if anyone says the words, your competition to me, speaking of another bootmaker, I immediately correct them and say my peers. Mm -hmm. There is no competition. There are more boot buyers than there are boot customers. Mm -hmm. And I don't regard anyone as my competition. Yeah. Uh, Ray's been on the podcast. It's been a long time. Uh, but him and Bo were on the podcast uh, a couple yeah. of years ago. Now. Bo worked out of my shop yeah. for a while, too. And so for people who don't know those or don't know Ray as his expertise, how would you, I mean, just tell me a little bit about Ray. I am so lucky to have met Ray. For one thing, Ray also trained with Jay Griffith, my first boss. And... The most valuable thing to me is that I can trace my history back to the original bootmakers so quickly. Um, Gus, Blue Gus Blucher was one of the original cowboy bootmakers on the Chisholm Trail. Gus Blucher, Blucher worked with Archer LaForce, who worked with Jay Griffith, who worked with me and Ray. And of course, with me, I was only an employee, so I didn't learn everything from Jay, but then I got the opportunity to later work with Ray and learn from Ray what Jay had taught him. And so I can just trace my lineage directly back to an original bootmaker because of Ray. And Ray knows so much boot history. He was in here just this morning. I am researching for a book that I hope to start next fall. And Ray's one of my sources. With cowboy bootmaking, so much of this has never been written down. It's passed along the craft itself is passed along orally from master to student. No one's ever done a serious research project, at least not in book form, of, of this history, of this craft. And so Ray is one of my sources that I can talk to and say, who was this bootmaker? When did he work? Where did he work? Ray knows these things. Yeah. Uh, the book. Tell me about that. That's exciting. <laughs> 
I am super excited about it. My original idea for the book was going to be cowboy boots and country music. I love classic country music. I name all of my cowboy boots after classic country and bluegrass songs. And so I was thinking about the fact that when you see pictures of country music stars, often they're cut off at the knee. But even when the whole outfit is visible and the boots are visible, you'll get all this information about the suit and where they were and what they were singing. And then they happen to be wearing boots and there's nothing, no other information. And I was thinking about how cowboy boots were an essential part of country music stage wear. And then I realized, wait, cowboy boots really evolved alongside entertainment because they started out with the Wild West shows and then the silent movies and the Westerns and then country music. And I began thinking about that history and how entertainment influenced cowboy boots and how cowboy boots influenced entertainment. And now I just have this whole book in my head. That's, that's exciting though. Is that, is that the first book you've ever done? I've written one other book. Okay. It's a really technical book. I mean, I tried to make it interesting and it has lots of pretty pictures, but it's about how to do leather inlay and overlay. So more educational yes. teaching rather yeah. than... These, this yeah. is the tool you need. This is how you hold it. Yeah. This is a sewing machine. I even, I even have a chapter about how to time a sewing machine because the interesting thing about writing this book, it was so hard to get started because I didn't know which thing to start with. I kept thinking, I need to tell them this. No, wait, before I explain that, I have to explain this. And I kept going in circles. And so it was hard to figure out where to start. But once I got going, it was so fun to write. And I tell people writing this book was like, imagine that you're writing a cookbook for an audience that doesn't know what a stove is, has no idea where to get butter, and doesn't know what cups or measuring spoons are. You have to explain everything. That's how this book was. It was super fun to do, though. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure some part of you as well is also just gets to refer people to the book instead of asking you really technical, detailed questions because you're super busy and you're like, look, I'd love to give you my time right now. However, I put a book out for the exact question you have. It is nice to be able right. to recommend a book because there are so few books yeah. on on any part of this craft. And this is a complete book on a small part of the craft, mm-hmm. but it is a complete, you can learn this from this book. Here's a textbook. Yeah. Tell me about your love for music. Where's that come from? <laughs> well, the church I was raised in, we sang a cappella, And so I learned, I remember standing on the bench seat so I'm aging myself right there I remember standing on the bench seat of my car of our car and my father teaching me how to hear and sing harmony at like four years old because harmony was essential in our church since we didn't have any musical instruments and I've always loved harmony and I grew up with hymns and I feel that classic country music tends to have a lot of the same format for the songs as a hymn it's got the verse and the chorus and the verse the chorus and it also has a lot of the same themes of guilt and regret which I respond to with my upbringing and I just love classic country music nothing makes me happier than cheating and drinking songs (laughs) there's a lot of them in country music I know I love them (laughs) yeah no it's and and for me too like they a friend of mine when I first when he first came out to visit me um 
he could not believe that there was like radio stations dedicated to country music here whereas obviously in the UK there isn't or right. maybe there is you just got to really work to find them mm. and he could not believe that he could turn to JKFM or whatever it was and like listen to country music well I don't listen to modern country music because no, the, the yeah. song for not only has the song format evolved but also the themes have evolved mm-hmm. you know we've we've lost a lot of the guilt and regret and I, I respond most strongly to songs with yeah. strong themes of guilt <laughs> Like, they're going to cheat, but gosh darn it, they feel bad about it. <laughs> uh, when did you, um, you know, do, going through this process, when was the time that you really, really thought that, like, okay, Boots, it, it, it's going to be Boots then? You know, after doing the boot top thing at, uh, with, with um, Jay, like, and then going to see Ray after that, like, how, when was that moment for you that you're like, you know what, I'm pretty good at this? I remember sitting at my sewing machine at Jay's shop, I'd probably been there three or four months. And I remember sitting at that sewing machine and looking around me and going, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And I just made up my mind. And fortunately, my husband was on board because he was raised in the same church. And in that church, the ladies typically have several children and they stay home and they don't have a job. And he just supported me the whole way. I couldn't have done it without him. He paid for that first class. He built me a shop, helped me buy machinery. I wouldn't be here without that support. Yeah. Were your first pair of boots for him then or not? You know, I can't remember. The I made two pairs of boots in that two-month class, and one was for myself and one was for him, and I don't remember which pair was yeah. first. I can tell you that neither one of them fit properly. <laughs> Do you still have them? Yes. Yeah, they're, they're both on a shelf up front. Oh, good. That's nice to have, too, just to remember, like, hey, this is where I came from. This is where I started. (laughs) Exactly. We've come a long way since then. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah. So from that moment then, what were the aspirations, dreams? And, you know, I'm sure you never thought you'd get to where you are now, right? Because where you are now is is world-renowned, astronomical, like traveling around the world, selling boots. And I mean, what is your waiting list right now, just to give people context? I don't really have a waiting list. What I did is I set my base price to $10,000. There we go. And that discourages many people. Sure, yeah. Because... The thing is, in a small one-person shop like like mine, you have to have a way to control demand. Yes. Uh, just recently, there was a lady who got on my Facebook page, and and she was yelling at me about this. my prices. Yeah. And and I said, look, I could lower my prices to whatever you like, a thousand dollars, and you might approve of that. But then I'd have to tell you my wait time is twenty-four years. Yeah. Pick one. Yeah. And and now since I do want to wrap it up next summer and write a book. Uh, it's not that I would never take a boot order again or I won't accept one, but used to when I was doing this full time, then <laughs> used to when I was doing this full time, I would give people firm due dates. And now I don't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what were those early dreams and aspirations? And what do you think you were going you know, make, you know, 15 pairs of boots a year for people? And that was it? Like, what, 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 was, the, what was the plan, I guess? You know... I wasn't bright enough to have a plan at the beginning. I just put out a sign, literally put out a pan painted a sign, drove it into the ground out by the corner and waited to see what would walk in my door. And I assumed that I would just be making working cowboy boots for working cowboys because that's what I saw around me. But since I was just starting out and I didn't have a lot of business, then I was making fun stuff that I wanted to make for myself and my husband. And then I had a stroke of luck 
that I could never have planned. And that was Tyler Beard, who was a boot collector and an author. He had written a book called Cowboy Boots, and he featured Jay in that book. And then he was writing his second book, and that was called The Art of the Boot. And he wanted to feature me in that book which it was way too early. I did not deserve to be featured in that book, but he had seen my work at a competition and he loved it. Cause I was, I was just, I didn't know what the limits were. So I was doing crazy stuff that shouldn't have been possible or yeah. no one had ever done before. And he wanted to put me in the book. Well, since I was only making boots for myself and my husband at the time, then that's what got put into the book was the fancy stuff that I was making for fun. And then people read the book and went, Oh, she makes fancy stuff. And suddenly that, was my career and I couldn't that's what I wanted but I didn't even have the vocabulary or imagination to know that yeah that um yeah you're right because you're like oh I, I am you get labeled because it's in a book now right exactly it's, it's legit it's on uh, you know it's in black and white this like, is who she this is this is who you are yeah uh, and uh, at some time maybe that has scared you at some time you thought yeah I can do this like uh, being labeled as something is is quite a strong thing, right? You, you know, you either own it or you think, no, I, I'd rather not be that fancy mm. boot person. I wanted to own it, yeah. and and I figured it out very quickly. Mm-hmm. I saw what was happening, and I went, oh, this is how you do it. You present yourself in a certain way. For instance, I've always been very choosy about the boots that I show in my portfolio and on my website. I'm not going to put something in there that I don't want you to order. You're not going to see black boots with one row of stitching on my website because I don't want you to order that. And it's because of Tyler. Not only did Tyler put me on the map, he also taught me how to market myself so early. Yeah. So one thing I picked up on that you just said was early on, you did a lot of competitions. Is that kind of, that was the way to get your name out there was to do competitions and to do this stuff that because nobody's buying this. I can I don't have to worry about anyone being mad at me for doing a crazy design. Right. It's total freedom. Right. So then you would have to go to competitions and that was the way to get your word out. It, it certainly did help. I, and I loved competitions uh, partly just because I'm very competitive. But yes, competitions encouraged me to push my boundaries and see what I could do. Yeah. And that was fun. Where did you get that competitiveness from? I honestly don't know. (laughs) Parents, siblings, no? I I honestly don't know. I'm kind of the odd one out in my family, but it came from somewhere. I've always been very driven, very competitive. Yeah. Yeah, it's... um I know, I know a lot of competitive people, but for the most part, they're usually male and they usually play a sport, right? <laughs> like, and, and it does take, you know, so you don't get to where you are without being being very driven and very competitive mm-hmm. and, you know, taking over an answer just is not acceptable. Um, and, and I love that. And because you have, you know, an entire shop and, and interns, in, you know, this place is full because of that drive yes. that you have. I think society encourages women to be competitive in a different way. I know for me, one of the things I love, and I, I learned to love it, is I was consistently underestimated. I was small, I was female, I was blonde, and I love being underestimated because you're not paying attention to me <laughs> while I'm working my butt off and passing you up. And that's, I've always regarded being underestimated as a superpower. Yeah. No, I- being underestimated is a fun feeling, cause especially when you know you're working and they just haven't seen you. Right, they haven't seen you yet. Yeah. And when they do, they'll be like, oh, it was luck. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, not luck at all. A lot of late nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Tyler, um, this is Tyler. Tyler, Tyler Beard, Tyler, yeah, yes. So Tyler, Tyler, you have that moment with Tyler. 
he teaches you to market yourself. Take me from there. What happens after that? Where do you go? And does the business just kind of hockey stick and skyrocket? Well, there were there were a whole lot of places where I had to learn things. For instance, when I started my business, I didn't know how to price it. So I just priced my boots the same as Ray. I didn't because I didn't want to come into town and underprice him. That was rude. And I did that for a while. He raised his prices. I raised mine. And I'd been in business a few years since we didn't go to the bank. We just this was all self-financed and no one asked me for a business plan and I wasn't bright enough to write one. It was a few years later that I finally sat down and figured out what it cost me in materials to make a pair of boots and how many hours it took me to make a pair of boots and how much I was charging, which would figure out how much I was making per hour. And it was so depressing because I realized I could go work at McDonald's for and make more money. And then when I left, it wouldn't be my problem if the business wasn't, business wasn't profitable. And so I doubled my prices that day. Uh, and I've really tried to learn about marketing and pricing because one of my pet peeves is when I hear artists say things like, oh, I'm not good with money because I'm an artist. You know what? Get good with money. Get good at business because if you love your art so much, you better get there. Otherwise, you're going to go out of business and you won't get to do the art you love. So think about it and get good at it. Yeah. And and I've another thing I learned, um, I remember when I the second time I doubled my price because I at first I doubled it because I was like I realized okay I need to pay myself a little more I need to pay for materials and the next time it I realized okay I have developed this particular name in the industry I'm ready to actually start not working so hard so I doubled my price again so now it was a pretty significant jump and the first time someone called me and said, what's your base price? I almost hyperventilated telling her. And I was afraid that she was going to yell at me and say, that's too much. You should be ashamed. And instead she said, wow, you must be really good. And I thought, I'm no better than I was last week. So that's when I realized that price equals perception, that how much I price my work for influences what people think of me. And that is not always fair because I could have been terrible and price my work inappropriately but at the same time I think sometimes artists undervalue themselves and then cause people to look at them differently or not value them enough because they're not charging enough yeah it, it's a it's a hard thing to do to price your own product right it's, it's you know it's very hard yeah and 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 you, like I said you're 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 super nervous at that moment when you're on the phone and you're like, it's this much. And you, yes. just, uh, you, you, know, you don't really say it clearly or you're nervous about thinking yes. of what they're going to react to, but you know, you get the reaction you want uh, and it just changes your mindset that way. Too. Yes. Because when you're an artist or a craftsman, your, your work is an emotional part yeah. of you. It's like your little child and it hurts when someone doesn't like it or doesn't value it. And it, it is difficult to price it appropriately because you're too emotionally invested yeah. in it. And it's hard to separate yourself and say, this object is worth this amount of money. Yeah. So you double, you double again. Things are going well. People are still buying boots. Um, and, you, and you're obviously having a great time doing it. 
uh, tell me about just I mean what 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 things are, what what's business like at that moment? What's life like? What are you are you traveling a lot? Are you selling boots overseas as well? Like what what is the what was the kind of the state of your business during that time? Well, I don't make as many boots now, yeah. and like I said, the the price I am now is deliberately designed to mm-hmm. drastically slow down orders because several years ago I. I was doing the YouTube channel and I was using a particular knife and no one was selling that knife and people were saying, I see you using it, where can I get one? So I had that issue and then I was developing sensitivity to rubber cement. Uh, Rubber cement and contact cement are solvent based. Contact cement takes 20 minutes to dry, so you tend to put it on, even though, yes, it's dangerous, it's bad for you to breathe it, you put it on, you walk away, because it takes 20 minutes to dry. Rubber cement takes about 30 seconds to dry. So you just sit there and breathe it and breathe it and breathe it, which I had been doing for years, and I was getting very sensitive to it, which is a bad sign. And I was I was looking for a substitute, and I found a water-based substitute in Germany, and I thought, everyone needs to be using this. So I thought, well, I'll just start this little business, I'll sell, I found a supplier for the knife, I had the the water-based cement. I became a dealer for them. And I started this tiny little website. And my goal was to make $50 a week. I was like, wow, if I can make $50 a week on this, I'd be doing well. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And now my entire shop is full of inventory. I have outgrown it. I desperately need a new building with a garage door and a forklift because now I'm carrying in 1,200 pounds off a truck by hand and and then finding space to put it. But also this building is paid for, so moving is tough. Yeah. So that became a whole new arm to your business. Yes. Out of so, nowhere. Yes, out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I wasn't bright enough to think of that either. And so now that's actually my primary business. That pays the bills and that gives me the freedom. I mentioned earlier that I lost my daughter. I lost her in 2017 and she worked for me in the shop and it was a devastating loss and it was really hard to to find my way back to boot making and to joy. And when I say the word joy, that became a a goal for me because I knew she would have wanted it. I was, I decided that I wanted to find joy again. Boot making as a job had become a job and I felt that it was showing in my work and then when I lost her it really it didn't excite me anymore nothing did and I had this this supply business that was allowing me to coast fortunately and I made the decision that I wanted to build boots again but I wanted to do it for joy I wanted to do it because I loved it and I began raising my prices because I wanted I wanted more control And one of the things that I started doing was, I told you I love music, so I began occasionally approaching a small artist that I loved, that didn't have money to afford me, and saying, I want to make you a pair of boots. And I just give them away for joy. And uh, the first first time I did this for a band called the Malpas Brothers, Chris and Taylor Malpas, and I still love them. I went up to them after a show and I said, they were the first ones, and I just said, I want to make you a pair of boots. And their manager came over and, and he wanted he said, What do you want? And I said, I don't want anything. I, I don't care if they talk about me on stage. I'm not trying to get more orders. I don't want more orders. I just want to make them boots. And so Chris said, I don't know what I want. You can make whatever 
whatever you want, which I love to hear that because it's fun. But Taylor, Taylor said, have you ever thought about making a pair of Satan is real boots? And Satan is real is an iconic gospel album by a brother duo from the 1950s called the the Leuven Brothers. I love the Leuven Brothers. I was actually raised on the album Satan is Real. Uh, people hear that title and they think it's some sort of Satan worshiping thing, but actually it's it's about the power of God, not Satan. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, he asked and that that album cover is just it's often featured on best album cover list and also worst album album cover list. So Taylor asked me, if you want to see it, it's right there on the wall. I have a whole Leuven Brothers shrine yeah, right there. Right behind me. <laughs> and so Taylor said, have you ever thought about making a Satan Israel boot before? And I actually had, but I didn't know if I could. I didn't know how, if I was capable of doing it. But when he asked me that, um, it sparked me again. And I made those boots and I loved them. And now I always have a Satan Israel project going on because I've made myself Satan Israel shoes. I actually, uh, there's a pair um, on the last right now. And uh, that project really is what started bringing me, bringing me back to life. Yeah. Because I loved it so much. Well, and, and you're right. Like it's, you know, when you go through something as tragic as that and it's centered around your business and what you have done your whole life and made boots and stuff that has brought you joy. And, and when it's got to a point where it is a job and you resent coming in here because yes. it reminds you obviously of, of your daughter and great memories, but also you have a business to run as well, your right. clients and customers and all uh -huh. the other stuff. Like it's, it's a lot. Uh -huh. Unfortunately you had, you know, the supply business. To, right. So like I said, to coast so that you could, grieve and you could mm -hmm. go through your process because if you couldn't go through that maybe you'd have ended up like jay or whoever like you'd never know right like it you're is super true. fortunate to be in that yeah. position to to grieve appropriately and also on your own time in your own way yes i was very fortunate in that respect yeah. and then another thing that came out of that we mentioned flora earlier mm -hmm. i decided that i should open myself up to teaching again okay. because I stopped teaching two-week classes. I don't really believe in the two-week class format. But, you know, I taught Paige to, to make shoes and boots, and I'd lost her. And I decided to open myself up again to that. And so Flora emailed. She found me on She'd been following me on Instagram. And she f messaged me out of the blue and said, I want to learn to make cowboy boots. And I said, come over. You can stay at my house. I won't charge you anything, and I'll teach you to make boots. And she came, and she stayed for three months. And, and that's not, that's not going to happen all the time. I was in the place right then where I needed it. And, um, and Flora was perfect because, I mean, now she's a really good friend. Yeah. And she ended up coming back to Oklahoma, obviously. Right. And, and uh, it worked out, and I needed moments of serendipity like that. Yeah. Well, she's also pretty good at music too, right? Which kind of ties that, in as well. Yes, that was another yeah. thing. Um, one of the first fiddle licks that her father taught her was one of Byron Berline's licks. Yeah. And then she came here and Byron was, you know, two doors down and she ended up getting to meet him and take fiddle lessons with him. And it just worked in all sorts of ways. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's awesome how things come together and, and just how life timing is everything and how uh -huh. life works. Uh, tell me a little bit about travel, about going around the world, about learning, you know, from boot makers and, and learning um, just the history of, of different boots in different places. And, and I'm excited to hear, you know, 
what that what this business has you know sorry I'm excited to hear where this business has taken you and the people it's taken you to meet the travel thing I didn't expect that either again the church I was raised in I thought my only dreams were get married have a bunch of kids <laughs> and so then I, I never people sometimes say where did you dream of going and the answer was nowhere mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that I would get to go to Europe but I went, I've gone to competitions in Germany, and there's a shoemakers conference in England that I try to go to every year, and I've met so many other shoemakers. I've become friends with them. One of my best friends is the official shoemaker to the Swedish royal family in oh, wow. Sweden, yeah. and we travel together. I've made contacts all over the world. I have friends all over the world. Uh, just recently, during the pandemic, so... It's traditional for cowboy boots to be pegged in the sole. They have little wooden pegs in the sole of the boot. And uh, that's not only traditional, it's also functional. It's a very important part of cowboy boots. And during the pandemic, the three remaining factories in the entire world that make those pegs stopped making them. This was going to affect traditional cowboy boot making Mm -hmm. in, in the Americas because boots are made in Mexico and, and North America. So we didn't know what we were going to do. And, but I, because of the shoemaking event in England, I had a German shoemaker friend, and I reached out to him and said, could you contact the factory for me? Because I'd been sending them emails, and they were not replying. So I said, could you contact the factory for me? He's a good friend. So he did, and he not only did, he got the German Shoemakers Guild involved. They went to the factory. He also makes this really good liqueur. It's like a dessert liqueur. I got to taste it when I visited my friend in Sweden. He can't send it to me, unfortunately, but I got to taste hers. It's very caramelly and very buttery. It's wonderful. So he took some of that to the factory, and they said, please, will you make pegs again? And I wrote a very heartfelt letter letter about what it meant to us. And they started making pegs again. So now the entire Mexico, the United States, everywhere, we can get wood pegs again. And that didn't, wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone to the shoemaking conference in England and made friends there. I can't overstate the importance of connections. Yeah. I Talking about kind of the UK and, and boots in general, I, I was here four years in college and never owned a pair of cowboy boots while I was in college. Two days before I flew home my senior year um, for Christmas. Two, yeah, two days before I flew home my senior year for Christmas, I went to a random local boot store, uh-huh. bought a pair of boots for 150 bucks and took right. them home, right? Um, Teeners or Shepplers probably. Still have them today. They're my, they're my only pair of boots. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I kind of feel bad saying that. I need more. Uh, and I got got back and we went like a bit of a kind of high school reunion at a friend's house and we were going out having a few drinks that night and I everyone was like have you grown (laughs) no why are you saying that and then we sat down outside and I put my feet on the table and one of my friends just like lifted up my jeans and they were like it's still going like what how you know because I'm size 13 feet so I have quite a big boot as well and they were like oh my gosh you're wearing cowboy boots take them off right now and then everyone was like parading around the house with my cowboy boots Uh right it just like it cracks me up, and then I have a hilarious video on my phone of, of another friend of mine who's had way too many drinks. He's like, "Hey, can I can I wear your cowboy boots for just ten minutes?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And he's standing on the chair, yelling at the top of his voice, "Howdy, y'all!" It's this <laughs> thick Welsh accent, which makes no sense at all. But it was just I couldn't believe that 
something as simple as a pair of boots could have that much of an impact. Absolutely. Cowboy boots just have this strong emotional appeal that you don't see in other types of footwear. And I always say that cowboy boots are a way for men to wear high heels and bright colors. Like if you want to wear bright red pumps, I don't care. But many men aren't that brave and cowboy boots are a way that they can wear high heels and bright colors. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so much room to customize, right? Yeah, so much room to be personal and have uh-huh. your initials or have, you know, it's, yeah. There's, and you know, you look around the shop and there is, you know, a lot of really cool designs in here, right? Very uh-huh. rarely, the, the two or three times I've come in here, I don't see your just typical like, oh, it's tan and it's got a kind of a bit of cut. No, no, that's no. not fun. That's not if fun. you want You're that, right. you can go to the store. Exactly, and I love that because it shows somebody's personality is coming out uh-huh. in what they have helped design, uh-huh. and they're. You know, it, it, it's for an occasion, maybe they're celebrating something, maybe they got a promotion or, you know, a, a birth of somebody or whatever it is. Like it's, um, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with um, BC Clark oh, uh-huh. and it's kind of the same. I feel like it's the same thing. It's like you go buy something expensive, a watch or whatever to commemorate a moment. People do that with boots. Yes. Right. Because they last forever. Yeah. And you can always resell them if you need to. You can. And that's the fun part about it. And, and you can express so much of your personality. Tyler Beard said, cowboy boots are a tattoo for the soul. Yeah. And, and I love that because it's interchangeable and you can take them off. So when I first meet a customer and we're talking about what they want, I always tell them, don't think of this as your only pair of boots. Think of it as your first pair of boots. Because, you know, I can't put everything about your life on one pair of boots. But you can build on this. And so one day you feel like flowers, and one day you feel like eagles, and another day you feel like butterflies. And you can have this as part of your your yeah. personality. Yeah. Let's talk on that. Tell me about your process when you meet with someone. Like, it, I mean, how does that go? What is the process? And obviously now you're, you're enjoying it. I feel like you're you're in a spot where you can really enjoy that process maybe more than you have in the past because you're slowing down a little bit? Yes, I can spend more time with a customer. Um, So when I start with with meeting a customer, the first thing I do is measure their feet. But then I talk to them about their feet. Do they have any common fitting issues? What colors do they like? What designs do they have in mind? When they look through my portfolio, I always tell them, be aware that you're looking at two things when you look at a pair of boots. You're looking at design. And you're looking at color scheme. So you can say, I like this pair of boots, but I like these colors. And even most people don't say, I want this exact boot. But even if if you choose this design, changing up the colors just completely changes the whole mood of it. And and I love working with customers to choose the design and the colors and find out what they like. That's the fun part. Yeah. Is it... um, What... What's it been like with, you know, this, it's not just the design, it's the, it's the leathers that go into it, right? There's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. choices, right? Whether it's snake or alligator or whatever, like it can get as kind of, you can spend as much money as you want to spend, I right. guess, right? What's there are a like? lot of different leathers, but there aren't a lot of different options in my shop <laughs> right. because... Do people try and get, like, sometimes do you have battles with customers that are like, I want this. And you're like, well, it's, I mean, obviously... I, I, yeah, I'm not going to battle not, with them. I'm battle's just, not the right yeah. word for it, but... Um, I would just say if you want snake, yeah. find another bootmaker. Okay. <laughs> people know why they're coming to you is probably exactly. what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. Because... So the boot tops are always kangaroo because kangaroo is ideal for leather inlay and overlay and leather inlay and overlay is what I'm known for. Uh, The foot can be calf, 
or ostrich, but I'm probably best known for alligator. I prefer American alligator. It's just my favorite leather to work with. It's beautiful. There's nothing, there's no downside to American alligator. And so I typically work with just kangaroo, calf, ostrich, and alligator. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, snake is delicate, and I don't, I don't want to make a $15,000 pair of boots and then put snake on it, and it's going to crack. Same with lizard. Okay. See, I wouldn't know that. That's why I'm asking <laughs> these questions. It's all good stuff, though, because, like, I'm, you know, one day maybe I'll get to a spot where I can spend some money on a pair of boots, and I really enjoy them and wear them all the time. But for me, it's more of a winter thing. Uh, you know, and if it's cold, I put on two pairs of socks and throw my boots on. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's such a personal thing, boots. And, and, you know, there's, you know, we've spent a little time talking about men's boots, like the women's boots you do. You know, like not the big ones, like the smaller ones that are just kind of, they don't, you know, people probably won't think they look like traditional boots, but they are. Right. Um, I think I was in here with Flo last time and there was like a bright green pair somewhere. I'm like, who decided that was a good idea? You just never know. Well, what, you never know, right? Yeah. One of the most unusual pair of boots I ever made, I had this older gentleman came in and he said, I want green boots. So I'm pulling out all these hunter greens and he says, no, no, no. So finally, almost as a joke, I pull out this bright Kelly green and his eyes lit up and he said, yes, that's what I want. So I'm going, okay, and he, top and foot, bright Kelly green. So then I said, well, what do you want on the boots? And he pulled out of his pocket, he pulled out the box top from a box of screws and it had this diving very mean looking diving woodpecker on it and the woodpecker was red and black and white and he said I want woodpeckers on my boots because I always wanted to have a plumbing company and I was going to name it Peckerwood Plumbing I'm like okay <laughs> what do I say to that yeah. and so we ended up I made them grass green pair of boots top and foot and um the boot tops had nothing on them except right at the top under the scallop. It had two red, white, and black woodpeckers diving at each other, front and back. And then on the foot, on the toe, it had a diving woodpecker on one toe and a diving woodpecker on the other toe. And the, the colors were green, red, black, and white. It was just <laughs> odd. <laughs> so then I sent him, the, I got the boots finished. I sent them to him. A couple of days later, my phone rang and I saw on the caller ID it was him. I was like, oh great, he hates them because they're really yeah. bizarre. And I answered the phone. He said, I want you to know I got my boots and they are a wonderful example of taste and workmanship. <laughs> and, and I'm like, workmanship, maybe. <laughs> and he said, I love them so much. I want a matching belt. So then I had to make him this grass green belt with little diving woodpeckers all along it. It was just horrific, but he loved them. Yeah. And Do that's what mattered is he loved them and they expressed something that he yeah. wanted expressed. Do people sometimes do the complimentary belt? Is that common? It's not that common. No, and you don't, you'd rather not do it? When, when I do that, I have a belt factory I worked with because okay. cause I am not yeah, a belt maker. Sure. So I would just do the strip mm -hmm. and, and do the inlay myself and then I'd send them the strip and okay. they make the belt. Yeah. I didn't think of that. I mean, that's another big business too. Like yeah. people love that's a whole other craft stuff, making belts. Totally different. Mm -hmm. And I uh, did a little bit with a guy in Oklahoma City who has, oh, I forget the business, but it's right next to the Outlet Mall, and it's a really cool spot. Um, and he does classes of belt making, mm -hmm. and leather work, or whatever, and it was awesome experience. Uh, yeah, the uh, the boot thing is, um, I mean. It's taking you everywhere, right? It's, it it's so cool to kind of reflect on it. And, and one of the great questions I love asking is, if you were to write a letter to bootmaking, what would you say? 
I hope you live forever. Yeah. And, and I hope that I contributed to, to the craft of boot making, to its longevity. Awesome. Uh, I would say that's a great way to end, but um, let's talk a little bit about this town. Guthrie? Yeah. Guthrie, Guthrie grows on you. I always tell that to my students because because they'll come here and they're they're complaining about how it's the middle of nowhere and it's Oklahoma and you know everyone's so this way or that way. They're friendly, but you know it's Oklahoma. And then before they know it, like Flora, they're living here. <laughs> It'll get you because my husband and I, when we moved here, we moved here right after we married, and we were just saving money to get back to Missouri. And that was 34 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I love it here. It's a great town. Um, I sold a couple of houses here to friends. Um, maybe one day I'll need to move out here. It is getting a lot closer to Edmund every single year. Edmund's right? getting a lot closer yeah, to Guthrie. A lot closer to Guthrie every year, yeah. you're right. Um, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a great town. I love bringing my parents here when they come to town. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, there's so much to do here and people just think, oh, it's just Guthrie. You're like, no, it's not. Like there is a lot. Take some time. Uh-huh. Enjoy a weekend because you can, there, you won't do everything in a weekend. Right. But there is some, there's some great people and characters and food, uh, coffee. Right. You know, it's, it's a great spot. So. So before we close, yeah. I do want to talk about one more thing. Okay. And that is my Oklahoma State Boots. Yes, you're right. We we did talk about that before, and I'm glad mm-hmm. you remembered that. Um, a huge honor. Yes. Tell me about it. So, boy, this has been probably five or six years ago. I was working in my shop, and uh, a small group of people came in, and I was not busy that day and in a good mood. So I said, would you like a tour of the shop? It had to be more like eight years ago. I offered them a tour of the shop and... Showed them what I did, showed them around the shop, and at the end they said, we're with the Oklahoma Arts Council, and uh, the bottom floor of the Oklahoma State Capitol is being renovated. We're going to commission artwork for it, and we would like you to make a pair of boots. And it took a while for that to actually come to fruition, but finally they did officially contact me and officially request a pair of boots, and they requested Oklahoma-themed boots. I had so much fun designing those. There's there's lots of Oklahoma symbols on it in the state of Oklahoma. And then I in the it's inlaid the state of Oklahoma and I stitched in the territorial line to show the history. And there's a small the colors of the state are the official state colors are green and white. So it's bordered in green and then white. And then there's a small pale green star for Guthrie because we were the first capital. And then there's a larger Kelly green star for Oklahoma City. And I just had lots of fun thinking of little details like that. Uh, A common decorative technique in cowboy boots is a little line of holes next to an edge. Those are called perforations. And I did that on the wingtip of the boot, but my holes are teardrop shaped to represent the Trail of Tears. Just so many small details. And I completed those in August of last year and delivered them. And they are now a part of the Oklahoma State Capitol permanent art collection. And I could not be more proud. They have a fantastic art collection and I can't believe I'm part of it. Well, and the building looks fantastic now. What they've done, the renovation is really good. I love that they've done something like, you know, brought you in and and others to really celebrate Oklahoma. 
I know. I walk around and I look at all the fantastic art mm-hmm. and the artists that I admire and realize that I'm right there with well, them. Yeah. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> and uh, the next thing then is for you to be inducted into Oklahoma Hall of Fame, which will happen, I'm sure. <sighs> That uh, is the dream. I just dream. hope that you're around to see that because I don't want you to be <laughs> inducted posthumously and not be around to just accept it uh, because it's a great night and it's coming up. Um, nine, 17th of November, I believe, is the Hall of Fame induction this year. That would just um, be, that would be so cool. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to, I'll have to, to tell you about the process and we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I look at, you know, every year, go to, I go to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame ceremony every year um, for the last four years and... Some of the, you know, sometimes like last year, Paddy Gasso was inducted last year. Uh-huh. And so out of like the seven people, obviously I know who Paddy Gasso is. The other six, no idea. Uh-huh. But then when they get up there and they tell their story and you talk about the impact they've had, you're like, I mean, it's just one of the most inspiring nights in the world. Like, I'm it's sure. so much fun to be in that room and be around those people and see what they've done. And you're just like superstars, right? It just kind of uh-huh. raises you up and, and makes you you know, and I'm a transplant, so it makes you me makes me happy to be in this state, but it just makes you proud to have a business, do what you do and makes you excited and gives you a kick up the ass to go back and hard, <laughs> work harder, right? Uh-huh. It is. So uh, thank you for your time. Uh, I know you're super busy and I really appreciate it. I'm glad I got to come up and see you in your in your place of Zen, peace, chaos and business. Yes, all of uh, those things. And have and this and thank I mean, you. Just the smell of this place. It's um you know, it uh, it's it's not just the smell, but you know, everything that's in here, it's um it's exactly what I expected, you know, and I hope it's exactly what people expect when they come into a bootmaker's shop. It's important for me for this place to have good energy. Yeah, it does. And it, yes, I think it does. Yeah. So for people listening, um, I will put a link to Lisa's website in the description and you can go there and uh, start your order process or start saving whatever you want to do. Uh, and hopefully one day you're fortunate to sit down with Lisa and design a pair of custom boots for you. So thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el arena now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This podcast is brought to you by the Oklahoma Beef Council. On behalf of Oklahoma's 50,000 beef farming and ranching families, we are working hard every day to bring high-quality beef to your table. To learn more, visit OKLABeef.org. That's OKLABeef.org, linked below. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. 
Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.